your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. everyone, welcome to Special Presentation with Mike and Ethan, or... Elf will not be seen tonight. Well, honestly, it's more like Mike and Ethan are with Steph, because I am Steph... I am actually staying with Steph Cherrywell this week, and it has been one of the most delightful times I've had in a long time. So, so welcome, to, welcome back to the podcast, Steph. Hi there. We're always grateful to have you along since you've, you know, you are the one who introduced me and Mike to each other. And, but we, but Steph and I were uh, friends for a long time before that. And uh, Steph is the one who introduced me to what we are watching tonight. I was vaguely aware of the comic and anime Crayon Shinchan, but uh, this is a movie that is, that kind of changed. Changed everything in some ways. Maybe you know more about it, Steph. Well, uh, I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, this is one of the Crayon Shinchan movies that was is the ninth movie out of I've something some thirty something now. They've come out one a year since the series started, basically in the early nineties. And should I give um, a little overview of what what uh, Crayon Shinchan is for yes. our listeners? I was familiar. Mike knew nothing about it, so we dropped Mike in into the deep end on this. So, Crayon Shinchan is an anime, and most of the time it is uh, basically a a domestic comedy, mostly about a mischievous five-year-old kid named uh, Shinosuke Nohara, who has a lot of somewhat body gags, like taking his pants down and claiming his butt is an alien, or drawing an elephant on his crotch and and calling his penis Mr. Elephant, uh, and various kinds of things. And he also likes to hit on adult women. Um, his family consists of his little sister, who's essentially a baby version of him, except she likes hot guys, and uh, his, his long-suffering mother, uh, Misai, and his uh, salaryman father Hiroshi and their dog uh, Shiro, and uh, you know, rounding out the, there's there's a very very large extended cast, but the the major characters and the rest of the cast are his teachers and classmates at school. Uh, so most of the time, it is just a lot of the time it's Shinshan like goofing off at home, uh, having low stakes neighborhood adventures, and it's set in Kasukabe, which is a neighborhood. Or a city actually in Saitama Prefecture, so it's a specific, real place, which is a suburb of Tokyo. Uh, and it, most of the time, he has kind of low stakes adventures. But then, every so often, because they have these basic characters established, they'll go off and do some extremely wild, supernatural or science fiction adventure. Uh, most of the movies are like this. Um, and there are also a lot of TV specials that will do something like 
you know, in this one, Shin Chan and his family become superheroes, or there was one that was a, uh, for instance, a whole a episode length parody of Star Wars or some things of that nature. Huh. Okay. Yeah. This, um, the only thing I had known about Shin Chan, cray- crayon Shin Chan, is it? Uh, oh. Yeah. You know where the crayon part comes from. Yeah. And where does the crayon part come from? It's just because he's a kid. Um, it's a little kid. His name isn't actually Crayon. There's actually oh. an explanation for that that actually ties into why this is relevant for us. Because Crayon Shinchan, the comic, is not really a comic strip. It's it's more like a you know six to eight page installment in action comics or whatever. But it is derived from a four panel Yonkoma, which believe it or not, tells the story of the founder of an actual department store. So and it was called like the Scrolls of Shinosuke. Oh yeah, I actually I had that one. That was very weird because it starts with like old Shinshan looking back on his life. Yeah, so so that's the the incredible uh, twist at the end of the Shinshan story is that he grows up to found a department store. <laughs> well, good for him. <laughs> that one that one was clearly not the real current Shinshan because they had him like fighting in World War Two. <laughs> but well, this uh, is not canon. No, yeah, but you can, yeah, he was like, well, I had a lot of fun doing the, uh, the kid part of that one. Let's, uh, let's just do a spinoff. That's just the kid. So instead of the scrolls of Shinchan, it became the crayon scrawlings of Shinchan. Oh, so that's okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. Cause the only real knowledge that I have or had about crayon Shinchan before watching this is um i do remember you know back in the 90s late 90s when anime was just starting to get big stateside mm-hmm. and this was the one that i remember everyone was like it's japan's answer to south park that was like the <laughs> thing that people just said about it. it it was like how back then people were like ping pong club is japan's answer to beavis and butthead <laughs> ev- <laughs> everything just That's had you know time. people didn't know what it was so it's just like here it's like <laughs> this uh it's a cartoon right well here it's like this american one you know um, ushio and Toro is japan's answer to calvin and Hobbes. yeah that's i'm not really accurate i would say it's not um doesn't it's not very south park like um the no. only thing the only comparison is that it's about a small child and it uh, and it's often criticized for being uh, crass or modeling bad behaviors in fact uh there have been multiple attempts to bring shinchan to the Ameri- to the english speaking audience uh there are actually three different dubs there's there's one that was only shown in the europe for the European audience, one that was apparently shown in America, but I couldn't tell you where because I never saw it. And probably the most famous or infamous one is the one that was made for uh, Adult Swim, where in where they had to live up to its reputation as the Japanese South Park, so they made it a whole lot bodier. Well, you know, for the kids. Yes. My personal favorite episode is one that was actually... The Japanese script was just that the family was trying to uh, relax on their day off, but people just kept uh, piling in and uh, making unannounced visits. And the English version rewrote that to be that the day before had been the the baby girl Himawari's birthday party, and the party the clown they hired had overdosed on heroin on the toilet and died, and they had spent the whole night burying him. 
Okay. So, well, yeah. <laughs> there's localization for you. They had to make it yeah. relevant to American audiences. Yeah. So they I mean, created the character of Mr. Peebles, who only exists in the English version of Chin Chan. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Americans have a lot of experience with like heroin over overdosing clowns. So they were probably like, yeah, this, this is a thing that people find relatable. Um, okay. Well, um, th this, uh, this version that we watched, which is, what is it? A book? Uh, adult Empire Attack. Yes, it's called. Uh, it's called like uh, Crayon Shinchan. The storm called the Adult Empire Strikes Back. For some reason, they all start with the storm called. For some reason. Hmm. Um. Well, you know, the storm's coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a QAnon uh, dog whistle. <laughs> they knew before, apparently. <laughs> Um, so how typical is this one for Shin-Chan movies? Because it sounds like they're all pretty different. It was a little more... A little more subdued, I think, in its aims. Because a lot of them are just over-the-top, wild and crazy. With, uh, I mean, there's, there's one where Shin-Chan has, like, fart powers and can inflate himself with farts, and a bunch of other people can, and... I mean, there's one where they're fighting this guy in the jungle who has a who has a monkey army. This one had a really different aim that was very specific to when it was released, uh, and a very different. Uh, this is this one is unusual in that it's considered it's it's very critically acclaimed in a way that the others generally aren't. Often when you see lists of like the 10 best animated movies made by if made in a Japanese context, it'll be like nine Ghibli movies and also Crayon Shinchan, The Adult Empire Strikes yeah. Back. And it sounds very weird that I say that it's subdued because there are, of course, there are parts of this that are completely over the top. But you have things like like the scene with, uh, you know, Hiroshi's flashback to his childhood or the bit where they're wandering through the old, you know, the, the replica village and experiencing the past. And it's kind of has this kind of melancholy feeling of, of like, of, you know, dealing with nostalgia versus looking to the future. And that's not something they generally deal with very much. In these no, movies. you know, again, yeah. This is a comic where they typically get eight pages of like Shinshan found a found a balloon that hadn't been blown up and plays with it. Yeah, um, like I said, my only knowledge being that this is you know supposedly Japanese South Park. I was very very surprised uh, to see just just how just how much was going on in this because I felt mm -hmm. like there was a lot of depth in this one. Um, now this one I I came out in what two thousand one I think. Uh, yeah, two. I believe it was either 2000 or 2001. I remember it specifically because I saw this one in the theater in Japan. Um, I had no idea I was going to the like best Shinchan movie. It just happened to be the one released um, while I lived there. And and yeah, let's see uh, if it's 2000 or 2001. And the the yeah, oh, it says 2001, and that. Date is very important because the fact of it being the changeover between centuries was critical to the plot. Yeah, because they we 
you told me that uh, Japan took it took the whole idea of the actual millennium starting in two thousand one much more seriously than we did. Yeah, I mean to the point where like that's when, like here, like pedants would point that out, but nobody else took it seriously. But in Japan, that's just sort of when when it was considered to be the like the new century and the new millennium was the change over to two thousand one. So I actually got to experience it twice because wow. I had the the real one in America and the, you know, annoying math person one in Japan. <laughs> so how did how did the Japanese celebrate the uh, the coming of the new millennium as opposed to the Americans? Uh, well, New Year I, is a much bigger deal there than it is here. That's for sure. I just remember watching variety shows under the Kotatsu, which I understand is pretty pretty standard <laughs> i don't remember what i was doing in 2000 i was probably with my with my then girlfriend and there was probably all i remember is the that they lit up the eiffel tower and i wasn't there for that uh yeah 2000 um yeah i don't remember what i was doing um Man, i remember white cake how amazing is this that we spent our whole lives looking forward to, you know, the changeover and being like, that's when it's going to be the future. And now it's the past and we don't even remember it. <laughs> yeah, we were going to be living in a not too distant future. Oh, <laughs> man. Well, yeah, but uh, but the year 2000, I feel like it was a diff very different time. I feel like as we're going to the new millennium, you know, there there was a sense of optimism, you know, e even though there were, you know, the standard millennialist fears and Y2K and all that. I feel like there was a sense that like, wow, we're, we're going into the future and it's so bright. We all got to wear shades. And boy, did that not last. <laughs> that mm -mm. did not last at all. Um, until until about 2008. And then we were like, OK, now the future is so bright. We got to wear shades. And, you know, we never needed those shades. <laughs> yeah and now now look where we are um yeah. but yeah no i do remember like being you know in the late 90s or you know being in the 90s in that sense that that all the world's problems had been solved and everything was like gonna be fine we we're all in a good spot i legitimately was remember being in the like around 2000 just thinking like everything's solved the only thing we got to do next is we got to save the rainforest but that's about it everything else is fine <laughs> we're great we're, we're doing great and you know, live now in 2023, just being like, huh, you know, hmm, <laughs> turns out there's other problems. Yep. Um, but, um, well, yeah, but I mean, it is a weird thing because actually watching this, I was thinking, like, yeah, you go back to the, the past and tell your past self what the future is going to bring, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's me from 2023. Well, what's the future have? Well, we, we, we fixed the ozone layer and we cured AIDS. The future sounds great. No. It's worse than you can ever imagine. Everything well, is terrible. Yeah, we cured uh, HIV for the second person ever. Great. <laughs> well, but uh, but yeah, this this movie is all about the change between uh, the millennium, like the the coming of the new millennium, or at least that's the backdrop for it. Mm -hmm. And um. And honestly, I think this movie is more poignant today than probably in the year 2000. But maybe that's wow. just because I'm older now, you know? Mm. There are um, a lot of very poignant moments and parts that, you know, there are parts of this movie where I get a giant lump in my throat. Yeah, yeah, the whole with um, uh, 
what's uh, Hiroshima? I think the, the dad. Yeah, here, yeah, Hiroshi, the dad. Yeah, his whole Hiroshi. Thank you. you know, we'll get to yeah. we'll get to that part. That is that is one of the most important parts of the movie. But uh, yeah, yeah, and, and that, you know, that, misty, so. yeah, that and the and the the big climax too. And you know, but okay, let's well, let's get into it. The now this this movie starts in a with one of the most important things to ever happen in uh, Japan, the 1970 World's Fair. Yeah, the big expo. This expo, and specifically the um, the statue you see, the sort of golden sun statue, I forget what it's specifically called, but this is such an iconic symbol um, of that World's Fair, and this this sense of possibility um this was back when japan was sort of just coming into its own as an economic powerhouse um you know the standard of living was just skyrocketing for people it's kind of a lot like um what america went through in the 1950s um where it was just uh, suddenly this this sense that all the bad times were over and things were just getting better and better and uh and this, there's another comic, which um, I will go through a, the whole thing again, because I, I just talked to Ethan about it for like a ridiculous <laughs> amount of time last night. But there's another one called 20th Century Boys, which also uses this expo and the, the, the time period as, and contrasts it with uh, adulthood around the turn of the century. Um, and is about how, you know, contrasting childhood dreams with adult realities um and i highly recommend it and it has some of the same bittersweet feelings as you'll see in this movie and it involves and it, it involves this uh this world's fair too doesn't it yeah yeah the expo is really a big part of it to the point that it's even the climax involves uh the expo being replicated with a new statue mm. hmm the uh, the uh, opening for on. this movie uh, is a little. If you're not like familiar with Shin Chan, I guess is a little um, strange because <laughs> um, it really makes you think it's going to go in a different direction than it does. Well, yeah, it drops you into a story within a story, a movie that the family is starring in. So yeah, I yeah. assume if you don't know anything about it, then you think that Hiroshi is actually a superhero. No as they portray but, him who fights Godzilla. But if you're already familiar with the, with the cast of Shin Chan, then you know, they don't normally live in 1970. Yeah. So that should, so that would have tipped you off if you were Japanese, but we had to wait until the part where we have Shin and his mom and their, and his little sister all uh, visiting the 1970 expo. And then it's crashed by a kaiju. Uh, so the two of so the three of them all put on like superhero support uniforms. Yeah, and then uh, then Hiroshi comes in um, in a plane, and uh, and transforms essentially into Ultraman or a or some kind of Sentai type character, and fights Godzilla. And then it's that's that's the reveal that this is actually a movie that he's starring in, in as part of some kind of some kind of business where they have part of a movie set up and then you can star in scenes that they'll shoot for the rest of it, which is a really cool idea. Yeah. It's like movie karaoke. This should be a thing. <laughs> and I don't know how they, the Noharas are just 
they're generally kind of portrayed like the Simpsons in that they're constantly struggling for money, but if they need to have a lot of money to do something for a plot, they will. Mm. Yeah. Well, and this seems really like it would be very pricey. Yeah. Um, yeah, then they get in because then the mom wants to do like a magical girl uh, movie. Yeah, you remember a long time ago when we were talking with uh, Mike of uh, of uh, the dang, what was the name of his podcast? It, it stopped already. Shoot, is it the? We were all on it. Are you talking is about it, why, oh, is why is this not a movie? Yeah, why is, yeah for, well, why is this not a movie? And we were talking about, and I talked about how Bewitched was such a big deal in Japan that it basically spawned the magical girl genre. Yeah, what she's doing is an homage to, I think it's called Magical Sally the Magical Girl, which was the first one of those. The uh, the um, subtitles very helpfully give notes whenever they spoof some other anime, ah. um, which I did not, which was really annoying, honestly, because <laughs> I thought, well, once they did, first they did the kaiju thing, right? And then, I, then they get into the Magic Girl, and I was like, oh, and I thought, I get it. They're going to do the thing where every family member gets to do a thing and it's going to be, each one is going to be like a spoof of a different genre. Okay. I got it. I know where we are, but that didn't happen. And then they actually got into the real plot and it took me about like 15, 20 minutes before I figured out this wasn't a spoof of like some magical girl anime. And this was an actual, <laughs> I was like, Oh, what is the anime where they like try to turn back time into like the 20th century? I'm not familiar with that one. Like, <laughs> But, you know, eventually I figured out what was really going on. So this isn't like to knock the, this isn't to knock the film. This is mostly just me being a dullard. Um, <laughs> I mostly was just annoyed because every time those things would appear and be like, this is a reference to this anime. And it'd be like, okay, but like, why are you telling me? Because if I knew the reference, I would get it already. And if I don't know the reference, telling me that isn't going to make it funny because I don't know what's going on. So please yeah. stop, subtitle person. Well, there, not isn't, helpful. there isn't an official uh, subtitle version for this. There is no official English release. Now, the version that you watched is much more a much more recent subtitling job. The one that uh, Steph and I watched is actually kind of a bootleg where the English is translated from the Chinese dub of the movie. So we're going through two levels of translation. So it's ah. kind of funny that it's kind of funny that. Uh, it's all been translated into British English. So Shinchan is calling his mother mummy and saying things like, you can't be eating tidbits at breakfast. You're doing it uh, old school. It's like going to college yeah. anime club and seeing <laughs> the big, like, no thanks to Miami Mike at the end. <laughs> I think I bought this, like, probably not too long after I saw the movie, sometime in the 2000s. So ba back when this was uh, very topical. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but so they so so let's see so after the magical girl the mom does the magical girl stuff then we really get into the prop the plot proper where yeah we, we learn the there's other, a museum the of the kids. 20th century yeah the other kids are that shin hangs out with there's like five regulars you have shin and his, and his little sister hima and then you have uh kazama who is kind of like a a young Republican, very uh, obsessed with uh, propriety. 
And then you have Masao, who's a little coward. And then you have Bo, who is just, who the fuck knows what's going on with Bo at any time. Yeah, Which uh, one's Bo? Uh, he's the oh. one with the snot running out of his nose always. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, Bo is, the, Bo is the slow, dumb, weird one who will occasionally say something profound. Masao is basically like Butters. So I guess this, this, in this case, he is kind of like something out of South Park. But he's the, he's the wimpy kid who can be bullied into almost anything. And I forget the name of the girl. A Nene. Nene, yeah. And Nene is often just the girl. She's often just the girl, but she has a little more to her because she is the daughter of a woman with extreme uh, anger management difficulties. And sometimes we see Nene imitating it in the same way by punching a stuffed rabbit. Oh, yeah, she does that in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, specifically, her mother is someone who has a kind of outward image of perfection who is like the, like the, the perfect housewife and the envy of like all the other ladies in the neighborhood. And then she has this sort of secret rage issue that she, that she takes out on a stuffed rabbit. Hmm. But anyway, they're gathered together. Yeah. They're gathered together in the daycare for this. And they're talking about how weird it is that their parents are so obsessed with the stuff from their own childhoods. And we see the parents going around to the gift shops looking at, you know, expensive Ultraman figures and stuff and saying things like, I saw my mom playing with her dolls the other day. Ah, uh, from the mouths of babes. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Um, it it uh, was kind of just, I think the first inkling that I was like, okay, there seems to be something here is when they're going back from the museum of the 20th century. And the kids are uh, Shin Chan is just like this sucks. All you, you all you just you just b- go shopping and buy stuff. And it's like yeah, that's what nostalgia is, isn't it? They just yeah. sell it back to you. Can't go. You can't go back again. But buy this tchotchke of it. And meanwhile, his parents are just making plans. Like let's buy another old fashioned car, honey. <laughs> that's I mean you know um, nostalgia is a trap. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's kind of yeah, and that's kind of what this whole movie's about. So yeah, um, and um, but so they so let's see so they they do the thing where they what do they do so they go home and then do we get like the the evil plan of Ken? Yeah, we have yeah. this. Be- we meet Ken, who is the owner of this uh, nostalgia museum, and we discover his strange secret, which is that he has. That he he and his would I guess girlfriend the Chica, uh, Chaco. Chaco. They never. Yeah, her name is Chaco. They never specify exactly what their relationship is, although they seem to be a couple. Yeah. Well. Yeah, they mentioned they are not girlfriend and boyfriend at one point in the version I watched because when they go to meet them, like Shin Chan's parents are like, "Oh, is that your uh, girlfriend?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "But you're cohabitating." And they're like, and they, okay, just, well, they just don't answer that. Possibly yeah. our subtitles weren't good enough to get that across. I think like uh, somewhat like Shin Chan one point says he and his sister, but it isn't confirmed that she actually is a sister. So no. um, who knows what's going on there? But um, but Ken has an evil plan, which is to bring back the past and by a smell. Seek- 
by smell and this is this is absolutely true i mean one of the you know i was we were just talking about this uh there's a book out now called the he-man effect that that is actually about uh about nostalgia and how it uh how it permeates our uh, buying habits and there was talk in there about how this how specific smells can bring you back to a previous time and the example it gave was a piggy bank and I'm like, yes, exactly. I could, I couldn't, I couldn't write it for you if I had a thousand pages. But I know, I would know anywhere the smell of my childhood piggy bank of that cheap Fisher Price plastic filled with copper. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's a very specific kind of like bush. I don't know what it is. It's like some sort of flower or something, and mm -hmm. uh, they grow around. They grow around, you know, in places. Mm -hmm. And uh, I every so often I encounter one of these things, and I'm just instantly like, oh, like, it remind I when I was in kindergarten in like you know Stuttgart, this grew there, mm. and I have no clue what it is or where. I just randomly throughout my life, every like you know three or four years, will happen across this particular kind of flowering plant, and it's just like, oh my god, I'm back. So yeah, smell <laughs> is a very powerful um, uh, instigator of memory. So. Yeah. So Ken and Chaco have figured out a way to flood the entire area with the smell of the past, which I, I don't know how they managed to make a melange of the entire past, but it works. It's somehow <laughs> generated by, we'll see later, they have a artificial old time Japanese neighborhood full of people and they are somehow bathed in the smell of the past, but they are also emitting the smell of the past. It's where he actually gets the, the smell from. Oh, I didn't pick up on that when I watched. Well, yeah, that's, I didn't... That's, why, so like, that's why at the end the, the smell drops. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, when we get there. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense now. I didn't pick up that they were also emitting the smell, though. That does yeah. make sense. It's kind of a feedback loop there. Yeah, because, because when, they, when they stop... Doing, yeah, you know, doing the reenactment and not no longer wanting to participate, they that the the you know the smell goes away. Yeah, he's got this sort of underground Truman Show going on of people who wanted to live in something that's like 1969. Yeah, that was really interesting because you know, um, as an American, I was like, oh, so this is what like you know, like a a Japanese boomer would be nostalgic for. Like the, the, this, this sort of imagery, whereas, you yeah. know, if this was made in America, you'd have like, oh, you know, like, you know, like, oh, like picket fences and the milkman coming by and, you know, like mm -hmm. more, more like Americana type stuff. So yeah. It's kind no, of yeah, that's exactly But we, we, we did try to figure out um, what, like what generation the characters would be. And I think we figured out that Hiroshi would be a very young boomer. Yes, um, and yeah. Masai, Masai Hiroshi is thirty-five. So, uh, assuming that this is taking place in two thousand or two thousand one, yeah, uh, he would be a, he would be on the very youngest edge of the boomers. Um, Misai would be kind of a older edge of Gen X. Now, Hiroshi does apparently, if if this is to be trusted, seem to have childhood memories of going to the nineteen seventy expo yeah so which which tracks because if he's 35 in 2000 he would have been about shinchan's age in 1970 yeah yeah um 
but yeah, it was it was just interesting because it's like, okay, so what sort of imagery, you know, uh, sort of it, it, uh, connotes uh, domesticity and nostalgia for you know a Japanese person, um, and it's like this, I, I it's kind of a, you know like a, a, a quaint village uh, with people walking around in the streets you know fish markets yeah. um i think the, the big thing is like on the corner <laughs> yeah just the fact is like hey people are outside that's certainly something that that doesn't happen nowadays mm -hmm. you don't go outside nowadays you, you get arrested if you go outside so um i think probably like seeing seeing activity on the streets is probably universal of nostalgia you know mm -hmm. just a time when people kind of lived more outdoors than they do today and neighborhoods where where people interacted that's absolutely it. Yeah, because every time somebody says, you know, somebody sit, talks about the good old days, usually they basically mean when people would spend eight hours a day bustling around wearing hats. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like a few years ago, like we went to uh, Iceland, you know, just for a vacation and we were in Reykjavik and I was like, wow, it's so weird when you go to like here because people are like outside. Like they're just hanging out in parks. They're sitting on their balconies, just like watching people, just people are just living outside. And uh, my wife was like, well, they do that in the States. We have parks. And it was like, no, we don't. It's different. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> God damn it. Um, Cause you know, in America that it, it, that isn't really much of a thing here. I feel like we're pretty much like, look, you stay home unless you need to buy something. Then you buy something and you go home again. That's how America works. We don't, we don't go outside. No. It's dangerous there. Well, um, cons considering that I've been on vacation with Steph this past week, and we've been to more museums than I've been to in probably the past 10 years in just this one week, then, you know, it's entirely possible. I mean, I've got museums at home. I could go if I wanted. I just never do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, well, why go when, they're, when you're home? Because, you know, you can go there anytime. Yeah. Well, but, you know, but did it? Well, the U.S. in the U.S. Uh, at least a lot of our public spaces are now actively hostile, so that homeless people don't have a place to sleep. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So all, you know, all the all the benches are removed or covered in spikes. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's definitely. I mean, in this town where I live, that's that is the way it is. It's pretty much like, look, we we don't want homeless people here, so we'll we'll compromise and have no one here. You know. Say, like, all right, cool. Um, we'll all just stay home. <laughs> we'll all stay home and watch TV. Oh, you can't do that anymore either, actually. Um, anyway, I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm being a very cranky old man now. I'm so nostalgic for the past when things were better. <laughs> if only I could go to that smelly city that, that Ken has in his basement. <laughs> uh, actually, so Ken is interesting because um, Ken and uh, his girlfriend wife or sister yeah. wife or whatever she is um they have this very particular look to them which i i wasn't sure if this was on purpose or not because they have a very kind of retro 60s look almost yeah yeah i was, and, I was watching it and i was like these are these people should be villains of the next austin powers yeah he has kind, of kind of an andy warhol john lennon-ish type of air about him Mm -hmm. Yes, 
with a little bit of Shinji's dad there. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, I thought it was interesting because I distinctly remember it, you know, a very late 90s, early aughts. There was kind of a 60s throwback, you know, this kind of retro fad, uh, at least in the States or, um, you know, w w the Austin Powers movies were a thing. I think the the. If you go to like what the the online museum of aesthetics or something, I think they call it Groovical is the name of this uh, yeah kind of Arizona sixties feel. It, um, it kind of got started around like the twenty fifth anniversary of Woodstock. Mm, mm, yeah, and that whole I remember it was very big with that whole Cool Britannia movement. You remember that? Yeah, it was like That's what legs. if what if, Ayo, Ayo. Yeah. What if a hot woman wore a shirt with the Union Jack on it? And that was kind of the whole thing. But um, <laughs> but I also remember those giant like couches that were shaped like big plush lips. Yeah, you know? those like those stick out. <laughs> yeah, like those were a thing. You could go down to Spencer's Gifts and buy like a couch like that in those days. So um, so I was wondering if that was actually intentional, that that was kind of like the nostalgia fad of the time, but I don't know if that was also happening in Japan. So it hmm. is, I assume sure. just a coincidence. I don't remember, but I was not very, I've never been very clued into what is currently popular. So in any country I live in. Yeah. I, I just feel like, I, I, I feel like it would be an astounding coincidence if Japan happened to have the exact same 60s nostalgia as America and not just the exact same 60s nostalgia but also the same nostalgia for the fashions that were big in america in the 60s rather than japan in the 60s so um this this is probably not not actually intentional but i just found that kind of that just thought it was i just thought it was interesting so yeah. Yeah, um, i'm not i'm not sure how big you know the beatles and groups like that were in japan but i'm i thought they were pretty worldwide so i'm guessing yeah. they might have been that's true awesome. I, it might also just be that they were like, look, we have a villain whose whole thing is nostalgia for the past. We're going to make him look like the past. Cause yeah, like you said, he's got that Andy Warhol look. Um, his sister wife has kind of like a go-go dancer outfit. Looks kind of like a, um, kind of like a, I don't know, like a mod almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Twiggy and, or is that too late? I, I think Twiggy was in that era. So I wonder if it really was just like, even if they didn't, have a similar 60s nostalgia throwback going on at the time in japan they might have just been actually like yeah let's reference the 60s because nostalgia you know that's what that's what today's adults are nostalgic for so um but i mean um i was already nostalgic for the 80s by the 90s so i'm a um, early bloomer in that department but you were ahead of the curve yeah. you know um yeah i'm sick of the 80s now yeah no more. we've had the 80s for way too long yeah, it's like, get rid of that. I mean, it was at first I was like, ah, now it's like, now it's my memories. But then I started feeling weird about it because it was like, I don't like that they're selling them back to me because that yeah. means I'm old. And now I don't <laughs> so, like that. Now I don't like that my memories have been popular enough. Now they're selling my memories back to the generation after me. Yeah, that's always a very weird thing where like, I guess, I guess like, if you're an adult in the in the in the late '90s and you see the kids kind of going for '60s fashions, it's probably kind of weird. And that's, I guess, the same thing now as as an old person seeing the kids be like, "I love, I got this 3D printed, uh, um, you know, save icon." You mean a floppy <laughs> disk? What? 
Um, it is also Which, interesting because the kids today with their 90s nostalgia, it's like you're mixing them up. That's 80s. Yeah. You're getting it wrong. But it all sort of molds together and melds together into the past, pre and post written. Yeah. Ah, what are you going to do? Kids these days. Ugh. Anyway. Um, so Ken has this plan and he's going to make it become the, he's going to bring back the past. And, yes. and not just I, to play I, the shitty games that suck ass. No, <laughs> but I did think it was very interesting where he was like, they, he and his sister wife are all like, we're going to bring back the past. And they say something to the effect of, because only in the past can you really have hope for the future. Hmm. And yeah, that's interesting. Yes, because they are, even though they're creating this very sort of, you know, this, this, Japan of the past world, but they are dressed like people who would have been the rebels and nonconformists in that world. Yeah, yeah. The people, the people who were hoping for the future, who were looking forward to a different future, and it kind of uh, it kind of evokes the past, not as a place that's perfect in itself, but that a place that still has the potential to become something good. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things about this that I thought has become kind of more poignant with the passage of time. Because it's like, you know, I think I was saying earlier that like, yeah, in the year 2000, there was this feeling of optimism and hope and the future is is bright. And in 2023, we don't, I mean, I, I guess I should say like, I, I don't feel quite as optimistic about things as I did when I was younger. Uh, but that's because you know, for one thing, the future is unknown. And when you're living in the past, you know what the future is going to bring, but it's, it's somehow less scary at that point. And even like, I don't know, like uh, when you're in the past, you can kind of safely long for the future. So. Uh, yeah. And I think Ken even says his, his plan is to, um, he's going to re-educate the kids to be, who, who, the nostalgia gas does not work on because they haven't lived long enough to have nostalgia to become citizens of the, that past. And it's like, you're just going to end up with the present again. Cause the present yeah. was created by those same people who grew up in the past. I mean, his, his plan has the seeds of its own destruction. Yeah. But these are, these are for Shinshan villains. These are very interesting because Shinshan most of the movies have ridiculous, flamboyant, over-the-top villains. They're often, they're often like extremely evil to the point where it's just the whole thing is just about them. Like, the, like you, you love to hate them villains that are just over-the-top and ridiculous. And these are not that at all. These are, one, they're extremely passive. I don't, I don't think they even run at any point in the movie. Um, no. even when their plan is threatened um they're they very calmly explain to the nohara family what their plan is and when the noharas immediately leave to foil it they're just kind of eh, okay <laughs> let's, let's start let's walk at a leisurely pace <laughs> after them um and no, also they, they, these, these they villains are somewhat less they're not 
their plan is not good, but they don't come across as evil villains exactly. I think there yeah. may have been too many people on the staff that agreed with them to make them <laughs> truly villainous. I mean, we never really get much of a, you know, backstory about them or their motivation. So, um, you know, we don't really know anything about why they want to do this other than probably having nostalgia for the past themselves, mm -hmm. which, you know, um, which, which, uh, is like, wow, like, yeah, it, like you said, it makes them very relatable. And pretty much, I think everyone over a certain age is like, well, would at least initially be like, that's a great idea. We should do that. But <laughs> I think the, the movie is about kind of finding out why that's not necessarily a good idea. And living in the, living in the past is, you know, it's a nice thought. It's nice to visit nostalgia, but it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's eat like sugar. You can't live on it, mm -mm. you know? Now that brings us to what actually happens next, which is, I guess they've, they begin to flood the city with their scent and, then there's a weird announcement on the TV telling all the nostalgic adults, go to bed, big day tomorrow. And all the adults just kind of turn off like it was a hypnotic suggestion. And Yeah, that actually, they really played that scene for horror. You know? yeah, it was this, scary. This is a very creepy part of the movie. It's uh, As that happens, and then Shinshan and Himawari wake up and discover that his parents are acting like kids and have no interest in doing anything they need to do or taking care of him or, and his sister. Yeah. And um, this is an interesting sort of look at what happens to Shin's character in this situation, because he is normally very immature and, you know, causes a lot of trouble. And what we see here is that he really, you see how even kids who are like that need to have, some kind of boundaries or bedrock of of their parents that they can rely on because when he loses that and he discovers that his parents are just going to lie around and eat candy all day um and aren't gonna aren't gonna feed him or make sure he goes to school he starts to get very upset and he has to he has to take the responsibility himself trying to push them into doing what they need to do and then finally taking care of himawari when he realizes they're not going to yeah, he takes her with him to school, assuming that things are going to be okay at school. But of course, they're not. Yeah, the teachers are also uh, affected by the nostalgia gas. So even, uh, ever, ever even characters that seem young, there are some teenagers you see being affected by the nostalgia gas. Yeah, the cutoff oh, seems dude. to be elementary school, maybe. Because yeah. yeah, there is a there is a, a group of um, they're. They really don't do anything in this movie, but the the you'll see three girls playing on the swings, and those are um, minor characters of just kind of delinquent high school students that Shinshan occasionally mixes it up with. Mm. Um, and so, so the gas does affect teenagers, but uh, it doesn't affect what looks to be some older elementary students at the uh, mm -hmm. at the convenience store. I mean, teens remember what it was like to be kids, so mm -hmm. it makes sense. Um, yeah, so basically the kids all start going feral <laughs> uh, <laughs> since they have no, um, you know, uh, they got to go to the store and steal food. Um, yeah. Everyone is, uh, all the parents have been taken by the Rand Corporation in conjunction with the reverse vampires. So, you know, 
So uh, yeah, the, the kids, they go to the convenience store. They're trying to scavenge food. And there's this sequence of them sneaking in. And I will say that the, um, the scene where Shinshan is underneath the, um, kind of underneath the stool with the hole in it and the kid sits on it. And Shinshan kind of folds his fingers into a, into a point. That got an enormous laugh in the theater in Japan because everybody knew what was about to happen. Because uh, the, the, I guess the, that gesture is you're about to stick your fingers up somebody's butt. And that, you're, a, a well-known gesture, you know? It is because here's something, um, here's something you might not know about Japan. If you go to a, like, a preschool or something in Japan, Mm-hmm. The kid, like kids, will just absolutely just start wailing on your junk. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, they'll just like run up and punch you in the crotch. Um, <laughs> also, if you, if you have breasts, they'll punch you in the boobs. Jeez, I didn't it's realize not... that. Uh... I do yeah, remember so, so... reading a blog from a uh, from a teacher, an American teacher in Japan. He who was in fact. He was, in fact, African-American, which meant that there was one kid who absolutely had to feel his junk and find out if it really was as big as they said. And he just had to, he just had to clothesline this kid out of the way every day. Jeez. Yeah. Um, anyway, one of, one, of the, one of the many forms that can take is the fingers in the ass thing, which I, I gather was also on Naruto. So maybe that's where people in the West know it from. Yeah, we have learned to call it concho. I'm not sure if that's the official word, but that's what they call it on Naruto. Oh, wait, course... so wait. So, huh? so Japanese preschool kids also like putting their fingers in people's asses as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty everybody. much. You know, it is, uh, it, well, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't, that's probably, I guess it's probably universal. Preschool kids are like that, now that I think about it. So um, I don't go to preschools very often, so. No. I mean, we've got our traditions of wedgies and swirlies and double jock locks and so forth. So we can't really point fingers, but yeah, you know, if yeah. you're gonna point fingers, stick them up someone's butt. Yeah, there you go. Um, I mean, my only knowledge of Japanese school, I had a, I have a friend who was teaching over there for a year, and the main thing that I remember is when uh, they were they, she was telling me like all oh, the kids were arm wrestling at one point, so she was gonna arm, so she went to arm wrestle them, and the kids were like, they were like, oh entertainment apparently th that that always amused me that uh they were like ah the foreigner is going to arm wrestle entertainment <laughs> so. anyway and but, i yeah. think she also mentioned eating kentucky fried chicken on christmas that was the other yep. thing she said that's a big deal but anyway um we're speaking of shin chan sorry yeah so yeah like you said a whole bunch of trucks have come out to uh, carry the adults to the to the uh, museum to live in the I guess to live in the world of the past, and uh, Shin sees his parents being trucked away, and uh, he said he calls to them, "Mom, Dad, wait!" And they both look at him, and in unison they go, "Shah!" And that is one of the most single most sixties things. But oh. there was this, yeah, there was this anime called Otomatsu, which was where Otomatsu one of the yeah. Otomatsu-san, yeah, which was ostensibly about these sextuplet kids. But uh, the 
but the breakout character was the regular villain who had this extremely specific and weird pose he would do when he got caught in the middle of something. And this is and this is the share pose, because that's what you say when you do it. Just it involves sort of twisting your arms around your head and spinning your leg, one leg over the other, so your sock falls off. And this is such a distinctive thing to Japan in the 60s that even Godzilla did it. What? Do, do you know there is a specific Godzilla thing where he does this weird sort of victory dance where he, you know, loops his arms around his head? He's doing share. I, I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, if Godzilla does it, then you know it's big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like how... The last few years, kids would just, like, randomly dab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I remember mean, that. This, it's, this, this is the 60s equivalent <laughs> of that. Man, do you remember, like, uh, when the kids suddenly got back into the Macarena? That, well, that, that was, like was my week, time right? to shine. What? That was, like, last week, right? Um, It was probably about, like, right before COVID. I, mm. I just remember, like, all of a sudden, all the kids that came to my work suddenly were like doing the Macarena and it was like, kids step aside. Let me let, 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 let an old man show you how it's done. <laughs> and then immediately, yeah, doing the, you know, like the thing where like the, uh, the Perry Bible fellowship, the, the Lord most high, and then immediately slip on a skateboard. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, but anyway, yeah, I was like, Oh, the kids, this is how you do the Macarena. But then it turns out I didn't actually remember how to do the Macarena. So I was oh. like, it was like, yeah, I don't know. You sing about Vic Victorino, Nicorino. Yeah. First of all, Fry, name? this is serious. And second of <laughs> all, proceeds to school him. <laughs> we uh, we were not going to be talking about your classical music anymore. <laughs> so after Shin has, so the whole whole population of adults is out, and it's just yeah, you know, feral kids you know, foraging and hoarding food, trying to find some building that they can scavenge for food. And uh, our our main kids, our six kids, oh, and Shiro the dog. You might have noticed they have a dog with them. Yeah, uh, the they dog, do have a dog, yes. Yeah, the dog wasn't introduced. His name is Shiro. He's important. And uh, But they find their way into a bar, which is pretty funny. Yeah, this whole scene is interesting in that they start kind of because the adults have started acting like children, they sort of start doing these very specific role play where they take on adult roles. Um, and Shinchan is like a, like sort of a middle-aged bar girl who doesn't want to, who like refuses to lose to the younger ladies and is, and is like probably a single mother of Himawari. And Masao gets extremely drunk on it's just like it's just like tea, but he yeah. he like gets shit faced on it and starts complaining about women not taking him seriously. <laughs> and I guess Bo is the strong silent type because he's the one who says, All my life, the only woman I've ever had any respect for is my mother. And his eyes and shins meet, and they kind of look at each other deeper and deeper, and that's when Kazama loses his shit. Like, weird. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this isn't this is definitely this is an interesting scene. It's like again with the kids. It's like, well, the kids taking on the roles of adults when the adults are gone. 
So, you know, of course, and of course, then comes the panic of all the lights being turned off because nobody's in the power station. <laughs> yeah, they really kind of oscillate in this film because, like, they have like some some you know pretty pretty good comedy actually. You know, it's like this whole scene where they're all, kids are all acting like adults. It was like, yeah, this is pretty clever. This is amusing, and then suddenly they'll go into like really kind of sinister stuff where like all the lights go out. It's like this is kind of unnerving. <laughs> they're now, you know, uh, everything's falling apart and they're realizing just how alone they are, that all the adults, even the ones that like the power company are gone. This is movie has often been kind of my go-to image for the actual end of civilization as we know it. Oh, the lights going off in Shinchan. Yeah. The, you know, the part when the lights go off and just realizing that there is, you know, you know, as you famously said, the realization that no help is coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, it seems like um, it seems like part of Kin's Kin's plan was to get the kids to this point, which is pretty cruel. Yeah, because they then get an announcement that uh, that the trucks are going to be coming back for all the kids, and you'd better get on them because it's the only way you're going to see mom and dad again. So lots of the kids do go, but Shin and his friends don't. Yeah, it's like yeah, don't tr- they don't trust the man. Yeah, and they were that's... right to because it turns out they're going to uh, what was it to brainwash the kids into being perfect citizens of the past. We never quite get uh, see what happens to any of the actual kids that get captured, but we do see one very interesting thing, which is alluded to. And the next scene where we have Ken assembling a small army of parents saying that your children have not come to the museum yet. You need to go out and get them. And Hiroshi is there saying, well, why me? I see, I see lots of people here. There's lots of people that you didn't take whose kids are still out. And Ken says, well, if you go, I'll give you this. And he flashes a lost child badge, the badge that we saw a kid wearing in the uh, at the very beginning during the 1970 uh, expo scene. So I think that there that some of these people might be like permanently playing roles in these fantasies. Yeah, they're so all I... they're all very childlike, which doesn't make for the best army. <laughs> they're also all armed with toys, which I guess is you know, appropriate since they don't want to gun down their own kids. Yeah. Um, so, like, is, is his army entirely made up of parents that he already got, or were there a pre-existing yeah. army? Okay. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm not sure, because most of them are wearing uniforms, but Hiro- Hiroshi isn't. Well, he did have people who, like, you know, went out on the truck, so he did have, mm. he had people before he started doing this. Okay who are working for him, but, uh, but his, his ranks have swelled now. So the kids spend the night in a department store, which is nice. It's got lots of beds for them to curl up in, but then they realize that they've overslept and the, and the uh, museum curators are coming for them. They said that they would be coming for them at eight o'clock. So now they have, have to find places to hide as it's a big cat and mouse game with these, Museum employees uh, catching kids and putting them in bags. 
Yeah, they uh, they hide in a little playhouse um, and get discovered when uh, Shinchan can't stop himself from farting, and they have to they all have to run out to get fresh air. Yeah, he hotboxes but, all of his yeah. friends. But this is one of the um, again one of the things where it really plays with something disturbing because uh, it's Hiroshi that finds them. And and Shin is like trying to approach him because he thinks, oh, it's it's Dad. And Hiroshi like immediately like cries for the other people that they're over here. So it's the the fear of having your parents turn against you, so having someone you could, having someone that you trust uh, betray you. Yes, this was something my dad always used to do when I'd come up to him as a little kid. I was like, Dad, I'd come up, Dad, and he'd be like, You think I'm your dad? I'm the monster that looks like Daddy. <laughs> oh geez how existential how existential can you get the, the monster that looks like daddy that sounds like the title of a book of your abuse memoirs <laughs> i was gonna say it's what but it's grow it's uh it sounds like something the grover would write in an extremely bleak <laughs> episode jeez so my dad occasionally would come up behind me in the store and say hey kid you want to buy some drugs <laughs> like he was gonna trick me into saying yes and catch me trying to buy drugs or something i'm not sure what his motivation was there you're gonna be like why yes i would like to buy some dr- i would like to buy one drug please did you ever say i got some already <laughs> no. I, uh, I remember when I was a kid once, we actually had uh, the power go out. And uh, so I was like, okay, I got to go. We got to go find everyone in the house. And it was my, my mom was, go- was gone. So it was just me and my brother and my sister and dad in the house. So I got my brother and I got my sister. and walked around looking for my dad. We couldn't find him. And we literally just like walked around the house like for an hour, you know, just, just doing a loop. Like getting getting increasingly like freaked out because it's like where where the hell is he, and um and then he jumped out of a closet and and scared us and he was literally like oh I was in the closet when like the power went out and I heard you guys walking around and crying and like calling for me and I thought it'd be funny so I just waited and then just kept waiting and I was like I want to see how long I can wait and then it was and then so he so he jumps out and like we all freaked out and we were like. Oh, we're so scared. Dad, hide again, and let's. We're gonna do this again. And so <laughs> he played himself because we made him keep doing it. Uh, oh, so with so much nostalgia, we have to smell our shoes so we can remember we're talking about Crayon Shinshan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because that is how they. That is how they. Um, they get. Um, Hiroshi, Hiroshi to to break out of the nostalgia spell. Yeah, later. And of actually, he um when Shinchan finds him at the World's Fair, which I guess is also in the basement of yeah, um, Jin's, like he's actually turned into a literal child. Yeah, because um, he's I wearing think. that same badge, so he's playing yeah. the role of the kid of the kid who who got lost, and now he doesn't get to see the moon rocks. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a question is like, is this like symbolic or is he supposed to have literally physically transformed into a child and suddenly his his parents are there as well or yeah, people those, playing the roles of his parents? So, yeah, those are heroes parents. We know them. You can tell that uh, that that his dad looks just like Shin Chan. 
Yeah, mm, those are yeah. they are they are regular characters in the show as well. Um, uh, I think more more so Gein, who is um, the the grandfather. Um, I think I think Chinchan's grandma is mostly just grandma, but yeah, uh, but but Gein has like a like his own stories and uh, and things in the show. Yes, but oh, we're. We're skipping past one of the best scenes in the movie, which is the bus chase. Yeah, the bus oh, yeah. is incredible. <laughs> yeah, the cat bus. Yes, mm-hmm. not the cat bus you're thinking of. Shin-chan has its own unique cat bus that uh, takes the kids to kindergarten and back. And because, because Shin is among the, uh, the escaped kids, they send his principal, Mr. Ench, and the teacher's... Uh, off to off with them, and Mr. Ench drives the cat bus. And when Shin and his friends finally manage to escape the the department store after a series of narrow escapes that involve very carefully timed uh, camouflage maneuvers, we that they they're like, well, what do I? Well, what are we supposed to do? We can't. There's nowhere safe to go. Well, let's go find our parents. Yeah, but we can't do it under their their terms. We got to go ourselves, and that's when Shin points to the points to the cat bus, and they were like, "Well, if we could, well, what are we supposed to do? It's not like we can drive this." And like you, like Steph said, Bo suddenly stands up and is like, "I can drive," but he can't really because he's just a kid and he can't reach the pedals. So they have to, uh, so they all have to drive together. Yeah, so they're they're. We get this big chase with like all the 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 army of adults in cars um trying to run the bus off the road or just board it um while Bo drives around and we get this series of um series of bits with the different kids because Shinchan um you know be, being a child um decides that it is not fair that Bo is the only one who gets to drive the bus and insists that they rotate. And Bo says, that's fair. Let's switch. Yeah. <laughs> so they switch. Um, they, they sort of bully Masao into doing it. Um, his, his, his scene is very good because he's, like I said before, he's kind of the wimpy one. Um, the one that gets the, the, they can just bully him into doing anything and they bully him into driving the bus which he does not want to do and he's crying and freaking out uh, and while he's flailing around he um, knocks into a couple of the cars and runs them off the road and then because he realized he can do that he immediately becomes enthusiastic and starts driving like a maniac and just demolition derbying <laughs> the, the, the opposing car army <laughs> Three of them end up stacked up on top of each other after what he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do sweat. like how they're all driving these tiny little like um, buggy cars oh, almost. Yeah, like Volkswagens, yeah. Mini Coopers, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, They look like something out of Brazil. So, mm-hmm. um, And then Kazama think... gets his turn and he's very... Uh... He's, you know, very insistent on uh, driving the speed limit and, you know, honking your horn at the right time until somebody points out, well, you don't have a license anyway. It's all illegal. And he freaks out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Nene does it. Chinchan does it for a while. And then he decides he's he has to go to the bathroom. So he puts the dog in charge. And 
climbs up on the roof to pee off the back of the bus onto the cars that are chasing them. Yeah, specifically onto Ken's Porsche. Yeah, his his so, Porsche that he his Porsche that he loves. Yes, and then we get this wonderful shot of Shinchan peeing off the roof and a rainbow forming. So, I've also seen Shinchan compared to Japan's Calvin, and nowhere is that more literal than in this scene, <laughs> where he actually pees on a car. Yeah, I was um, I I I uh, I don't know. I was kind of like, why is the pee not tinted yellow? Um, <laughs> it, were they? Did the sensors not let them do that? Because it just looks like water. <laughs> He's very I, well I hydrated. Yellow He's very hydrated, yeah. They drank yeah, all that tea. True. <laughs> but there is a lot of it, so it's diffuse, I guess. Mm. All right, I'll let it go this time. <laughs> but in the future, we want to see yellow pea, understand? So eat some Flintstones yeah. vitamins or something. Oh. We get scenes of both Hiroshi and Masai in their action hero personas as a uh, as like a sentai hero and a magical girl trying to attack the bus and getting basically distracted uh, I think hero gets knocked off and onto a yeah onto he's a, hanging yeah he's hanging onto the door by pinching it with his legs as he tries to get off of the car and onto the bus and it looks you know like an absolute nightmare and then the car door just breaks off and he goes skidding off like he's on a skateboard yeah, Misai is the one that gets distracted because Shinchan like gives her a magic wand and he like throws it into traffic and she just runs off after it. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a good way to not have a mob, Shin. Yeah, he was, he was not terribly concerned with his parents' safety in this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's aware that you know they were kind of sur- protected by his main character aura. Yeah. So we saw earlier, I think before the chase, um, we saw the, the entire army get distracted and start like shooting each other with the guns for fun, which is another <laughs> illustration of how um, how your, your brainwashed army of people who think they're children isn't the most effective assault force. Yeah, imitation children can never defeat the real kind. You know, honestly, we just don't have the, uh, have the stamina for it. Also, yeah. did you notice that there are no seniors? Oh, yeah, that's I, true. I wonder what he intended to do with the seniors because they're they're not taking part in this. Are they already? Uh, are they being brainwashed too? But- yeah, we were wondering about that because the 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 trip to the past. It is not go back to your childhood. It is return to a very specific time period in Japan's history um, where um, as we see uh, later uh, Hiroshi's parents were adults they were just younger adults so the seniors were not wouldn't have become children Um, actually I I think of uh, what happens when you take a bunch of 80 year olds and make them half their age and send them off somewhere they're probably all having an orgy oh yeah (laughs) Good point. They're <laughs> good for them. And that's what 80-year-olds do when they're 80, so they might as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Oh, I have a friend we had uh, 
Well, we had I have some a friend who's a, a nurse who works in a senior home, and he was like, you know, you wouldn't believe the amount of syphilis that goes around in those places. So. <laughs> I would. I mean, it makes sense. What else are you going to do with your time? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, no, I live, I basically live in a dorm again. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, what? and I'm 80 years old. It's not like I got to worry about, you know, stuff. So anyway, my gran- old people my grandpa- love having sex, is what I'm saying. My grandpa died at age 94, but even up to then, one of his favorite things was whenever my dad would come to visit, he'd take him to the beach just so grandpa could look at all the girls in the bikinis. Nice. Yeah. You know, a horn dog to the very end. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, a, he's like, a, he's like a real anime grandpa. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> that's, that's grandpa Gein. No. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't, he's not in his nineties, I don't think, but, uh, but still we, okay. What, what happens next? Oh yeah. They, they do in fact make it safely to the, uh, make it safely to the, the museum, but they start doing a celebratory dance before they've actually stopped and the bus crashes. Yeah. They, they take Shiro off the steering wheel and start celebrating him, which is, um, and then the bus immediately crashes. So the dog was actually adding value to the driving. Like he was, he was, he was effectively steering the bus. Yeah, he was probably doing it better than the kids were. But yeah, most this... likely, since Shinshan was just dancing on the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> so we have most of the kids getting captured and. I guess some of them, I guess the important ones got left on the bus and they managed to sneak away. And so Shinchan returns to the last place he saw his dad, which was the set of the uh, 70, the uh, Expo 70 story, the Ultraman story. And now we see, now we see, like we said, Hiro as a boy with his father, Gin, and his, and his mother, you know, insisting that he wants to go see the moon rocks. And then Shin intrudes on this scene. And Hiro doesn't know who he is at this point. <laughs> so he has to tackle him, grab his shoe, and shove it into his face. Yeah, and, and, now, and here we see the, the, the smell of the past being overcome by the smell of the present. Because Hiroshi has notoriously stinky feet. And we see this very, I think, very emotionally moving little silent story, uh, or the wordless story, uh, showing Hiroshi's entire life up to up to the present. Yeah, where we it see him as a little boy going going fishing with Gin, riding on the back of the bu- bicycle, and then growing up and ta- taking on. You know, taking on a new girlfriend that we don't see again. I guess we didn't. He didn't stick with her. Yeah, that well, that was middle school, and we do see a very evocative two shots. We see him walking with her to school with their bikes, and then we see another scene of him uh, walking alone and looking downcast. Mm. So obviously, it, I mean, middle school relationships probably not going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. And we see him uh, meeting Masai. Uh, Shinchan being born, and then a scene yeah. of him, you know, coming home late at night and taking off his shoes and like freaking out the kids with his stinky feet. 
<laughs> and that uh, that brings him up to uh, he remembers his family yeah. again, and he returns to uh, returns to himself. It's it's very affecting to me the mo you know seeing how much you know how how devoted he is to his job, but also the part where he's running away from work early and you know crashing through the hospital doors because you know he may have missed it, but he has a newborn son you know? and just a reminder that to him at least that becoming you know that growing up was worth it that having having these kids was what something he did want all along and and the you know and it, of course it ends with a wonderful little shot of the same the same bicycle fishing trip but now hero is the, is the grown up and shin is the boy and it's a reminder that you know you can experience your childhood again from the other side yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, and then, it's, we, then the same thing happens to me side but we don't get to see her flashback yeah disappointingly yeah some of it would have been the same, the la- a lot of the last part. But. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought this was really, I really, um, this got me a little misty, you know, because I thought it was very well done. And um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of like the, the, the beginning of Up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's it's a good reminder. Like, you know, you, you can't go home again. Maybe yeah. you don't really want to, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I... I, I I gotta say, I think this is a better movie than Up. I mean, the first fifteen minutes of Up were absolutely transcendent, and then the rest of it was just kind of an everyday movie. But this has a lot of great stuff, and then this part. Yeah, I mean, Up had a dog. That was that was nice. <laughs> I like the dog. So yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think that I'll say that's the one spot where I think Up is it might be a might have a leg up, a leg no, up. It, yeah, <laughs> you like Doug more entertaining dog, but yeah. Actually, yeah, oh, yeah. otherwise, I've had a lot of dogs. That's right. Shiro does oh, not it? talk in this one. I think there are specials where he talks for various reasons. Hmm. Okay, more, but in this one, fantasy yeah. themed ones. Yeah. Well, I guess there is a dog in this. It's the dog's fine. The dog's yeah. fine. I don't have a beef <laughs> with the dog, but I didn't um, know you were such a fan of Doug. Um, yeah, no, I was, I just think he's funny. He makes me laugh. Um, I don't remember anything else about that movie. Though. Yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, there's the, the opening scene. And then the, the next thing I remember is gray leader checking in gray leader, checking in gray leader, checking in. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's Pixar, you know? Yeah. You know, they and, like they're like oh you want to be uh yeah you you want to be emotionally manipulated come on in we're <laughs> Pixar that's what we do you gonna want to feel want to feel bad want to feel bad again oh yeah but it's good for you so yeah <laughs> I gotta say like Pixar I'm getting kind of sick of their whole thing where they're like oh you want to we're gonna be here's time for some sad feels and it's like oh but we did that last time can't we just have a nice peppy Shrek you know. <laughs> Now that's a movie. Those Shrek movies. That's that's quality cinema. They should have. They should have. They got robbed. Yeah, they should have made <laughs> like, a sequel. Yeah. Did, whatever happened to that Shrek fellow? Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he was barely in that last one. Yeah. Do you remember again in the in speaking of nostalgia? Do you remember in the early aughts when Shrek was everywhere and they were like, yes. "We're gonna like." 
we're gonna we're gonna transition to an entirely Shrek based economy. <laughs> that's why that's why I've never seen any of the Shrek movies after the first one. Because I was I liked the first one. I was kind of excited for Shrek too. By the time it came out, I was so sick of seeing Shrek's green face just <laughs> leering at me from every single product on the shelves. That I just, it's, yeah, I just passed. So it really yeah, well, was amazing. I don't think you can really explain to people nowadays how, like, for a hot minute, Shrek was literally every product. Yeah, like it, it you, made Jaws look like nothing. Yeah, I mean, nowadays I, I know that we get like you know the the big blockbuster movies are of course the a- the advertising blitz, but I don't think anything really compares to. Um, how with Shrek, they were like, we want everyone to know that there is a green ogre and his name is Shrek. (laughs) He will be your funny friend, Shrek. Like literally every toy got remade in Shrek's image. There was Shrek Operation, Shrek Play-Doh Fun Factory. It's like... You get like Shrek, like, I remember like all all the, every drink was green for a little while. Remember? Like the milk is green, the orange juice is green. It's like it's all Shrek themed. Oh man, that was smelly shoes, smelly shoes. (laughs) Oh, that was a close shave. (laughs) 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 Ah, back to the present. Yeah, I will say this: you get some of the same effect with Shinchan in Japan. Um, I don't know if it's true currently, but Shinchan advertised a lot of things. Um, There was like a Shinchan. Tokyo apartment guide at one point. There was there really? was Shin- yeah. There was Shinchan curry which had Shinchan stickers in it, and I would get it because I wanted the Shinchan stickers, even though the curry looked like a bag of vomit. <laughs> so so not not good. <laughs> not good. Not good. But, but I did collect lots of Shinchan stickers. <laughs> Man, so Shinshan is really a Shrek of Japan, if you think about it. Almost more the Bart Simpson of Japan. (laughs) Oh, I guess he'd kind of be like that, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, At least the the era-appropriate Bart Simpson of Japan, because I've always felt like the real Simpsons of Japan was Uraze Yatsura. But... Mm. Yeah, there was was a lot of comparisons, especially because of all the parents complaining about his behavior early on <laughs> mm. man you remember when the sims you remember the simpsons <laughs> wow smelly shoes <laughs> well i think they might still exist actually um, uh, let's pretend they don't yeah but anyway so um once once uh they have smelly shooed uh the parents back to their normal selves I think that's when they go after they go, they try to go up to the, the smell tower to stop Ken's plan. Yeah. Yeah. They end up up kind of walking through the neighborhood first, I think. Yeah. I think, Um, I think Ken wants to, you know, explain, you know, he doesn't understand that other people wouldn't immediately agree with him after he explains it to them. So, you know, he, you want, you can't say that he's not a believer. Hmm. I, I did like when he says that it's always twilight in that like fake village because that makes people kind of nostalgic and long for the past and it's like yeah that that is true that is absolutely true 
-hmm. know, you see a sunset, you're kind of like, well, another day has ended. Another sand in the hourglass of life has fallen, you know, the day that you'll never get back. So it's kind of hard not to be a little wistful when you see a sunset. Um, So Ken Ken really thought his plan out pretty well, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And, but... Hero and Shin and the family are just not having it. And they were like, you know, you can't, you know, if you're, if you're going to do this, you know, we want to live in the future. You can't, and we're going to stop you. And so they take off at a breakneck pace and uh, grab a, like a three-wheeled milk cart or something to drive through the fake town with. Yeah, but that just makes them more nostalgic because they keep getting into wacky situations that remind them yeah. of their favorite animes. Yeah. I wonder what anime they were talking about where they're always knocking over a, a fruit basket. Die Hard? Oh, probably probably one that I'm not familiar with because it was from the 60s or 70s. Mm. And but that might be an Osomatsu-san thing or like oh, Sazai-san or something. Sazai-san yeah. is something we could look at because it's ba- it is, in fact, based on a newspaper comic strip, but I can't find any English versions of it. <laughs> oh, I have not heard of it. Uh, it's been going on for, like, close to a century now. Yeah, it actually um, it actually started immediately after World War II, the original comic strip. It's pre-Tazuka. Oh, yeah, it was so before they, dis- they invented anime style. Wow. Um, so it's it's been going on even longer than Ginger Meg's. Yeah. <laughs> That's some pedigree. Um, okay, so I'm trying to think. So after Ken explains his plan. Yeah, they take off, and Ken and Chaco just take off in their very leisurely sort of, uh, you know, like like Jason way, and somehow still end up ahead of them. And it becomes a oh, race up the they can, they can use They can use the elevators. Yeah. <laughs> And they know they know where they're going. This is a fairly I you'd imagine this would be kind of hard a hard place to navigate if you didn't know where what you were doing. Yeah. Um but then they so they go up the the tower, right? Because I think they're gonna climb this tower, which is emitting the smell. And um And along the way, uh there are cameras watching them. And as the cam and the cameras start focusing on it as and broadcasting what's happening, the struggles that the family is going through into the fake city. And the people in the fake city start, start sort of tuning out of their, you know, of their 60s, of their 60s lives and looking at what's happening on the TV. See, this is where Ken went wrong in his plan. He would have gotten away with it, except he decided to make the closed circuit security cameras feed into the national grid broadcasting yeah. grid which why does this happen? a weird thing to do but did shit make this happen somehow he was really originally i think broadcasting it to just to his tv because he was wanting to keep a tabs on them but that somehow broadcast it to everyone hmm. i'm not sure what his motivation was his exactly why he chooses to do some of the things he does are very is very unclear I think Perhaps. he really did. He literally did think that anybody who he explained this to would agree to him, um, and he couldn't. He couldn't really conceive that broadcasting this would would potentially convince people the other way. Yeah, 
so by his own petard. So we get this sort of, uh, and then there was one thing with the entire family event gradually, you know, being whittled down to it's just the four of them, just the three of them, as one by one they sacrifice themselves to give Shin the chance to be the one to stop him. And Shiro is the last one who just collides with a domino of a row of uh, villains to uh, knock them out of the way. And finally, just as he's like five steps away from hitting the but the button to start it, when uh, Ken feels Shin holding onto his ankle. Yeah. And oh, you know, I think in this whole scene, there's also that bit where they're all they're kind of walking on a girder. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they they really like play this very realistically because oh, yeah. <laughs> this is very they really convey the tension of how terrifying it would be to be in this situation um, and especially to be in this situation and also be responsible for a five year old and a baby. Yes. Yeah. Because um, like when the when. um because uh, uh, the mo- the mom is kind of scooting along, like crawling, and yeah. the dad is you know, like walking. But at one point, he turns around to confront those, you know, the the bad guys who are following them. And we get a shot of his feet as he does it, and they just very you can see him taking these very careful small steps to kind of re- reorient himself. And it really does like it's it's a it's a really good little attention to detail that really does sell the tension. Like yeah, if you were in that situation you would be taking extremely careful steps so that you didn't just like spin around and fall right off. Um, so I was actually, so that was kind of surprising that they like went, they, they were able to convey this like so effectively in, yeah. um, you know, oh, this wacky anime. Also, I really liked how after they get to safety, Misai just, you know, absolutely breaks down at how frightening it was. Very true. You know? Yeah. As yeah, like, you know, I mean, she was she was she was, she was already panicking down uh, at one point <laughs> with, with while having to hold the baby. The baby is of course, you know, laughing. She loves it. Well, kids, you know. Yeah. She doesn't know. And so and of course the way they uh, managed to get the bad guys to back off is when Shin says, "Do you really want to get clo- that close to my mom's butt?" She's been constipated for five days now. We could go off at any second. <laughs> yeah, they have nice... Sort of a running gag about Misai having a big butt, which she really doesn't, but maybe by Japanese standards. Yeah, I was looking at that and be like, yeah, I guess it's kind of big. I mean, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, not by my standards. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine, I guess. It's yeah. fine. But yeah, that I really like the moment when she starts creeping back, like, why you little? And the bad guys see her butt coming toward them. They start to panic. <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, they effectively defeat the bad guys with the power of her butt. And, <laughs> and then I think that's when like, um, talk about they moon to, uh, prison power. <laughs> They try to stop Ken, but then it realizes that the smell has dissipated because everyone's been watching those uh, the closed circuit TV, and nobody wants to live in the past anymore. Yep, they've lo- they have lost their will to stay in this world. They've they've been inspired by Shin and his family. 
And so Ken and Chaco kind of take a look at each other and be like, well, there's nothing to be done. And they go to walk off the tower. Yeah, this, this is another very heavy scene in this. Yeah. Where we see them just decide uh, they're just going to die together rather than, uh, you know, if, if no one else will come to the past to them, they'll just they'll just disappear. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a little unexpected. <laughs> we're like, well, guess I'll go die. But, but you then, could not, then, this no other Shinchan villain would have done this at this point. Yeah, um, I'm not like I said, I'm not familiar with Shinchan, so I was just like, hmm. oh, I guess this is like that 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 thing that happens in anime where the bad guys just kind of give up towards the end. You know, <laughs> like it's a very Ghibli thing. I always know when the bad guys, the last reel, or or sometimes not even the last reel. Sometimes like a halfway through the film, are just like, yeah, we're just not going to be bad anymore for reasons. I don't oh. know why. We're good you now. You of Howl's Moving Castle? Um, yeah! Is that the one of the Witch of the Wastes? Yeah, the Witch of the Wastes who just sort of deflates and becomes a helpless, you know, friendly pudding. And... Yeah, I don't like that. For multiple reasons, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> but it was like, because it's like, oh, here's the coolest character you've ever created, Studio Ghibli. And Studio Ghibli's like, nah. Nah, we're tired. <laughs> well, like, Diana Wynne-Jones created her, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, what, who, what, who's that? Uh, the, an author, the creator of Charmed Life, Witch Week, and The Lives of Christopher Chant. She's the author of Howl's Moving Castle. What? Oh, I didn't know there was a book. Yeah, it's based on a book by a British woman who, you know, not to, you know, not to damn her with faint praise, but she kicks J.K. Rowling's ass six ways from Sunday. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, a lot, a lot of their stuff comes from books. I mean, um, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service is a book. Uh, oh, yeah, it's by Eiko Kadono. So that mm -hmm. one is actually from a Japanese book, but a lot of them are from Western books. Some there's, yeah. there's uh, the Arietti one that's from The Borrowers, yeah, based on The Borrowers, and then there's the Earthsea movie that comes from Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah, she was not very impressed with it. I didn't know well, they made an Earthsea movie. Yeah, it's not there's very good. There's also um, and the Witch, which nobody was very impressed by, but that also came from a. Yeah. I haven't even heard of that one. Um, that was Ghibli attempting to do CGI and everybody going, "What? What are you? What are you doing? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is not what we come to Studio Ghibli for, please." No. <laughs> that was their dinosaur. <laughs> oh wow! I remember dinosaur. <laughs> I saw that in the theater. Yeah, no need that, for the shoes for that one. No, it was like well, I went to see it and be like, oh, oh, I was like, yeah, I preferred it when it was Land Before Time. <laughs> I preferred it when it was a short, uh, eight-page comic that ran at Disney Adventures. Oh, is that how it got started? Not probably not specifically that, but there was an actually really good story about an orphan dinosaur that ran at Disney Adventures, and oh. I was like, you know, that could have been a movie. It could have, but. But instead, we got Disney's dinosaur. Hmm. Mm. Well, you know, uh, unimpressed. Well, mm. I was unimpressed as a earwig in the witch, apparently. <laughs> but so, okay, so can we wrap, wrap this up? We skipped. We kind of skipped. There's a couple of speeches from Hiroshi and Shinchan about about giving their perspectives. Hiroshi's is about how even though. 
you know, even though he's older, even though some of uh, even though he misses the past, he's values the life that he has. And Shinchan is about how, you know, if if old people spend all their time living in the past, there'll be no way for, you know, the children of today to craft the future that that they value. Yeah. And those are yes. those are both two different we see two different age groups kind of giving their perspective on the pitfalls of nostalgia. Yeah. You know, very much like hey, civilization look, world is uh society is great when old people plant, you know, trees they'll never see. Not when they mm-hmm. just play with uh, you know, their Mario brothers and eat their Shift <laughs> YRD. And- <laughs> Which now, because I'm always thinking of that, whenever I think of nostalgia, I always think of that, like, that picture that was going around on Twitter. Do you ever see this? Where it's like a Norman, it's like this kind of Arizot's Norman Rockwell picture of some kids in a basement playing, like, Super Nintendo, and they're, like, posters of, like, Gremlins and Ghostbusters, and there's, like, a giant bowl of chef boyardee spaghettios right there in the foreground, and people were passing around saying, this is what they took away from us. And it's like... (laughs) Those things all exist still, first of Who's all. Who's they? Secondly, Who stopped buying them? Yeah, but also it's like, yeah, this is what we need to do. Chef Boyardee, really? Really? Chef <laughs> um, But anyway, sorry. We're, but um, yeah, so um, looking for, but yeah, we get like, yeah, both, both generations realizing that, you know, the way is forward, not backward. And I suppose that makes uh, Ken and Chaco feel that they have no place in either world, and they are just about to step off the platform and fall to their deaths. And then a dove flies up and gets in their faces. It's like, what? And Yeah, yeah I, th- I think Shinchan yells something, and that causes the dove to fly up. So he saves their lives without really realizing. He, he was not clear on what they were doing. He thought they were bungee jumping. Yes. Yeah. But... As it turns out, the dove was, you know, it's a nesting dove with uh, a nest full of chicks and eggs. And Ken says, once again, a family has come between us. But it gives him an excuse not to jump off the roof. So, yeah. Because uh, Chaco they, says yeah, they, were like, oh, they, were, they were looking for any excuse not to do that, I think. Yeah. Um, so they drive away. Yeah. I will say that, you know, any excuse not to commit suicide is generally good, whatever it yeah. takes. Yeah. You know, I Evan mean, Dorkin you know. said that he once he once was about to walk into the sea, but he backed out when he realized his wallet was getting wet. <laughs> well, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you carry all sorts of stuff in your wallet. Yeah. You know, it gets way like all the you know those stamp cards where you get like if you if you buy ten sandwiches, you get a free yeah. one? You know, you yeah. don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that, especially not if you die. Yeah, I mean, you can't eat the sandwich then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they, instead of dying, they just drive away in a car. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's mostly the end of the movie. We see the, we see the trucks taking the families back, and I think that's just about it. Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. We don't really see, we don't see what happened to Shin's friends. We never see them reunited with their parents. So for all we know, when they come back, they've already gone through the brainwashing and now they're like, I love living in the 70s. I want to see the moon rocks. <laughs> they were actually going to take them to brainwashing. I think they were just going to, you know, like we're going to start raising them to be in the past and their kids. So they'll just accept what 
they're taught, but mm. I don't think they were taking them to like the Ludovico treatment or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait for the next Shin Chan movie to know what happened to them. <laughs> oh well, there have been uh, there have been something like twenty more. The, there's not very much information on the current one. There was a, f- a few years ago. There was one about an alien that uh, actually did literally turn Shinshan's parents into children. Oh, 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 boy! Is it going to be one. about being nostalgic for the anti-nostalgia movie? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were trying to recapture that. Uh, let's see. Uh, what is the what is the most recent one? Uh oh the, the the one that just came out earlier this month is a Crayon Shinshan Great Psychokinetic Battle Leaping Handmade Sushi. <laughs> okay, that's a mouthful. Um the one before this was about ninjas. Yes, that's the one where a ninja comes to uh comes to Shinshan's house and says uh says I'm very sorry but they switched our babies in the hospital. Shinshan is actually mine. So <laughs> I'm just going to be living here with you now because I'm his mother. Okay, why not? Yeah. <laughs> also, she, also, she's yeah, and she has another another child since him and is pregnant again. And this is some sort of pun on ninjas somehow. So, huh? Okay, Did ninjas if, get if, pregnant a lot. Uh, ninpu both means pregnant woman and ninja somehow. I'm surprised oh. we don't see more of that. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I did not know that. Yes. And okay, that that is movie 31. So Shinshan is almost as many movies as Dagwood and Blondie, I guess. Damn. So wow. if we want to do more of these, we'd be we'd be set. <laughs> well, um, I mean But we've already seen um, the best ones. So I don't know. We'll see we'll see how good any of the others are. Well, it depends how much we want to watch all the black blah 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 blah. blah. Dagwood and Blondie movies. I said Blackwood and Don Gum Gabber Blondie. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean there there is a lot to talk about with Shinshan. We we didn't even mention his creator. This guy was a character. Oh, what's the deal with his creator? Yoshito Usui, um, the creator of Crayon Shinshan. a lot of interesting traits. Uh, he was a. This is something you would not guess from this this show. He was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh yeah, I would um, not have guessed that. He he used some of his crayon Shinshan movie to build a church, and he would give Bibles out to people. I would not have expected that at all. To be honest, I've, I've only I've only found this from Wikipedia, but it's been there for like ten years, so I'm assuming that it's not a joke. But <laughs> yeah, um. Unfortunately, his his story has kind of a sad ending. Um, he was a very a very melancholy person, and uh, he disappeared around a uh, two thousand and was this two thousand nine or so? Yeah, about uh, you know ten to fifteen years ago. He disappeared while hiking and was determined to have either fallen or perhaps jumped off of a cliff to his death. Oh, geez! It was a, it was a you know a huge I mean, this this guy was—it was like if Matt Groening died this way. So, Jeez. it was a big thing. Um, the, the thing is still going. The like Shinchan is still getting pumped out, but but before that, he had 
one of the reasons that people think it was possibly a suicide is that he would he had been very depressed that the series had gone gotten very dark like characters well like a a, a character who was the the there's a there's a woman you see for maybe like a few seconds in this movie she's one of the teachers um named uh, Ms. Matsuzaka um she got a, at one point a boyfriend who was an archaeologist and there was a story where he was killed by terrorists Korean Shinchan Jeez, okay. So it got, it got, it got um, there were just very dark themes, and people thought that, uh, boy, he was, he was really depressed, but we will never actually know exactly what happened. Or uh-huh. Some secrets, you know, there's no smell that can bring you back to them. Yeah, man. Um... He did have a photo taken at the, from the top of the cliff, so it's also possible he was just taking pictures and lost his balance. Yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah, it's really not a good way to paint it. You know, it's it's you know, it's either incredibly, you know, an incredibly tragic uh, story of uh, of giving up hope, or it's embarrassingly slapstick. Yeah, you know, it's like people pre- it's like people predicting that Hannah and Barbera would uh, die in a dynamite accident together or something. Oh damn! Did that really happen? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I was just making that up. Now I want to oh. look it up and see if anyone thought they were, you know, thought that, uh, you know, the fact that they do so many cartoons about being hit by anvils means that one day we're going to find them both crushed under an anvil and it'll serve them right. It'd be like you see that and it's like how ironic. <laughs> well, we, the we, anvil yeah, dropper we... has become the anvil droppy. <laughs> No, they were they were going to be killed by dynamite, but they they held up a sign that said "Yipe" in the picture here. And <laughs> <laughs> luckily, instead of like actually killing them, the dynamite just left them. You know, their their faces like blackened, and their uh, their bills flow around the back of their heads. <laughs> actually, no, that's incorrect. That's be how Chuck Jones died. Yeah. No. Uh... Hannah Barbera. Well, if it was the if if it was the uh, Tom and Jerry era, then it would have left them with their faces blackened and their lips all reddened, so they could go mammy. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> what an that, an unfortunate era. Yeah, <laughs> some things we're just not nostalgic for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I have to say this this movie was uh was very surprising. I I thought it was um. That was pretty good. Um, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it because I thought it was going to be like, oh, this, this Japan South Park. I guess it's going to be a lot of farts, and there were there were enough farts. There were some there, farts. There was not too many, fart, though. At least, yeah, there was there, a there, there was, was just, a, one yeah. significant fart. Yeah, there was enough farting that it was like a treat when it happened. You yes. know, because you're not like at the end being like, I'm getting tired of all these farts. Um, they they just they they knew when to deploy them so for maximum effect. Mm-hmm. Silent but deadly. Yeah, but yeah, I thought. Um, but um, yeah, it's definitely like a film that um, I guess I'm I'm glad to have seen it now when I'm old and the themes of nostalgia will hit more because if yeah. I saw this when it came out, I think I'd just be like, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, whatever, old man. Nostalgia mm-hmm. not being great. I'm just going to eat some Chef Boyardee now. Yep. <laughs> oh, by the 
Please sign my online uh, petition to bring back rocks and bugs and things. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, you're the only person in the world nostalgic for that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess the, the moral of the... The moral of this movie was sometimes it's better if Alf isn't seen tonight. <laughs> <laughs>